good. That was good. your mouth. Punch you? <laughs> I didn't say it. I got it. I got Other your own side. Mind. Other side. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Come on. Come on. Well, my goodness, y'all sound so good out here this morning. Y'all act like you ain't seen each other for four months. You know, I love that. I love that because you do come from week to week, and it's such an important part of you being here, such an important part of us being together. How many of you need encouragement? We all need encouragement, don't we? Every one of us needs some encouragement. And so you want to be encouraged this morning and I want to encourage you. I hope that you'll be enlightened this morning from uh, the Word of God this morning. It's my hope, it's my prayer that uh, Jesus just touches your heart through His Word. And, uh, and, that, uh, and here's the thing, it's not enough to be touched by the Word, but there is a responsibility that we have, right? And what is it? It's to respond to what He says to us, right? So, you know, I'm so tickled about Thursday night and the fact we had... So many folks that were here loving on our neighbors, loving on our people, our people that live right next to us, and they came in uh, over 300. So we had families here. Man, weren't the kids polite? I mean, I didn't meet any unpolite kids. It was amazing. I was just, it was just really wonderful. And we didn't even run out of candy. How about that? So you guys did an awesome job. It's good, you know. So we're fixing to take the rest of that candy over to the neighborhood this afternoon. But you know, last week we talked about the church. Did we not talk about the church at Antioch? And you remember how diverse it was and all that good stuff? You know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the church because the church, man, is powerful. It's important. It's very powerful when we're all collected together. We're able to do what we did Thursday night because the church was to come together and to love and to share the love of Jesus with all these people. And so it was a wonderful thing. And I love the church. And sometimes the church gets a bad rap. Y'all believe that? Sometimes it does. Sometimes we'll see it on Facebook. We'll see it like, I don't have to be at church. I met a guy yesterday. Some of us men met a guy yesterday. He doesn't go to church. You know, and he may be here today. I don't know. We invited him. But anyway, he may be here. And this isn't just for you, but it's for a lot of people. Because so many times we'll talk about the church as you don't need to be in church. But see, but see there's, there's a problem with that. And the problem is that what the word church means. It means, listen, in the Greek it says it's, it's ecclesia. It's ecclesia, which means it's an assembly of called out ones. We've been called out of darkness into what? Into light. 
But it says it's an assembly of called out ones. Now listen, if you're at home by yourself, you're not an assembly. You're not. You're an assembly when you gather together in the Lord's house. And I thought that was important to kind of share that because everything, you guys are vital. And I want to tell you, I'll give you a great reason why it's important that we come together. Number one is because Jesus doesn't want us to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's the Bible. That's not Brother Phil. That's the Bible. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling yourselves together. It's the habit of some. And we don't need to do that. We need to come. There's a reason because we work better. We work better together than we do separated. Think about it, man. Some of you have a gift of mercy. Some of you have a gift of giving. Some of you have different gifts. Gift of preaching. Gift of teaching. Not everybody has the same gifts. But when we're here together as a body of Christ, man, then you become that hand and you become that foot and you become that tongue and that ear and that eyeball. You become all this stuff. And listen, all these gifts and the spiritual gifts operate collectively and burns brighter and, and, and much brighter when we're all together. So church is vital. Yes, you can be saved, and you can be not at church. doesn't mean you can't be saved, but it might mean that you're in sin when you stay away. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the excuses of people that are sick or not able to get out and stuff like that. And we've even made it possible online that even right now as I'm speaking, we've got people at home that can't be here, and they can join all of us online live. Isn't that incredible to be able to do that? Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, okay. Oh, I think I forgot to let the kids go, did I? <laughs> Man, sometimes we go back to our old ways, you know, sometimes. Uh, but if you're a child here and you haven't been let go, uh, you're let go. I'll let you go back to Children's Church this morning. Thank you, Brother Oscar, for that. Sometimes I was just, man, I tell you, this message has so resonated with me. But let me tell you something, too. Sometimes, like yesterday, I'm kind of battling over this thing, too. And you ask the name. But then God just kind of brings it all together, you know. And so, and I want you to hear, listen, we're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts. 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 It's, it's doing things. It's something's happening. Something's doing. Something's happening. And it's the Holy Spirit. Now, your Bible might say the Acts of the Apostles. But I say to you this morning, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles. And they're going out and they're doing things. And we're seeing, we've been marching through it now for several weeks. And God has shown us the powerfulness of the church. He's shown us the spread of the gospel of Christianity all over the world. We see it. We're, you and I sit here as a direct product of Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. We sit here this morning. And so it's really good. It's good. And so, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week. We did the first three verses last week talking about the church at Antioch. And I think about the church. See, see, this shows me how important it is because there would not have been a church at Antioch, a gathering of called out ones, if it wasn't important to Jesus. There wouldn't have been a first church at Jerusalem if it wasn't important to Jesus. So he loves it when we come together. He designed us to come together. He designed it that way. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Let's look at starting at verse 4. You ready? Here we go. Put on your seatbelts. We're fixing to do it. All right? Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Remember after they were ordained, they were laid on, they laid, they didn't ordain, but they laid hands on them to send them out. Paul and Barnabas, correct? 
They took the leaders, and I thought this was a really important fact, the leaders of that church in Antioch, they laid hands on them, and they sent them out. They sent their leaders away. The Holy Spirit directed that. And it's something to think about. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, and it's emphasized again here, they came down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to where? To Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed God's message in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. That's John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. And so I want you to think about John Mark. He was their assistant. In verse 4, it's most important that Paul and Barnabas are sent forth by the Holy Spirit. When you leave here and you go home, you're sent forth. The Holy Spirit should be leading. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, you need to do it. Do what the Holy Spirit... And listen, whatever the Holy Spirit says, it's not contrary to what His Word says. That's how you know it's the Holy Spirit and not the devil. The Holy Spirit will not contradict the God's Word. And it's important for you to understand that this morning. The Holy Spirit always moves men, and listen, to move His Gospel. He always moves men and women to move His Gospel. Always. That's why we're here. That's our mission. That's the mandate, to move the Gospel. To move the gospel on Thursday night to these young people, these families, to make it available to them. Through our random acts of kindness, through our love, through our verses, through our mouths, through our voices, through our kindness, through our love. Listen, to overwhelm them with love of Christ. Just do it. You just have to do that. In verse 5, uh, uh, Salamis is on the east coast of the island of Cyprus. It was Barnabas' home. This is where Barnabas was from. It had a large Jewish population. And immediately upon arrival, guess what they did? They headed to the synagogue to proclaim the message of the gospel. Now think about this. They leave the mainland, and I think it's about a hundred and some miles, by boat to get to Cyprus. And when they get there, that boat probably gets to shore, they're hit with their feet running because they have a message to proclaim. And the message is that Jesus is alive. Jesus saves. Listen to the Jewish man. Jesus saved. Jesus is alive. Jesus came back. Jesus lived. Jesus performed many miracles. Jesus did this. He shed his blood for all of us. And he shed his blood and he, and he lives forevermore at God's right hand. He intercedes on your behalf. Even now, he's interceding even for you specifically and for me. And I thank the Lord for that. That's precious. May we never get tired of that. Maybe, may that never get old in us. And so they hit their grounds running. Paul used these synagogues as a springboard to build a bridge to share the gospel throughout the Roman province. These are bridges, these are springboards all over the place. There were Jews everywhere and they had synagogues. And he would start there uh, in the, with the Jews first and then with all the Gentiles. In fact, these synagogues were also a theological necessity to share to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. That's why Paul in Romans 1, 16, what did he say? He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, and then to all the Gentiles. Father. It was important that he followed that order. Let's look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Right? means son of Jesus. He was with the 
the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear God's message. He wanted to hear the message that Paul and Barnabas had to bring. But Elimus, who is the sorcerer, who is this guy, uh, uh, Bar-Jesus, right? It's the meaning of his name, opposed them. He, he opposed them and tried to turn the uh, proconsul away or the governor away from the faith. That's what he tried to do. Paul and Barnabas would travel approximately 150 miles across the island from Salamis all the way to the other side to Paphos. There was no record of any fruit of their ministry in Salamis. There was no record. You'll find a record if people got converted, saved, repented, or what. We don't see that. We don't see that in Salamis. And sometimes that happens, amen? It does. It happens sometimes. But the sorcerer, listen, their arrival on the west coast of Paphos, they immediately encountered a satanic attack. An immediate satanic attack occurs. The sorcerer bar Jesus, or son of Jesus, or also called Elimus, had tremendous influence. He had tremendous influence on the governor of that province. Sergius Paulus, listen, was very interested in spiritual matters. Bar Jesus, however, sought to turn the governor away from the faith. His purpose, it's satanic. Remember Peter turning away Simon the magician. Remember that? We studied that in Acts chapter 8. It's a few weeks ago. Now we see Paul having a showdown with Bar Jesus. Never fear, the devil is always here. He's always here. He's always around, trying to invoke his influence into the life, and more so into our lives than the lost people. Oh, we can't go do that. We can't win people to Jesus. We can't do this. I, I can't do it. He will get you down every time. He will beat you down to keep you from reaching out. He will beat you down to keep you from doing what God's will is for your life and for mine. He will do it. He will try so hard. So let's see what happens here. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's there again. You see that? No power apart from the Holy Spirit in us. Stared straight at the sorcerer. He stared right at him and he said, You son of the devil, full of all deceit and fraud, enemy of all righteous, won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Suddenly, a mist and darkness fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the, then the proconsul, seeing what happened, believed and was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. And here we see where Saul's name is changed to what? Paul. Isn't that amazing? So why is it changed? I don't know. Why is it changed? I was thinking maybe, maybe listen, his name, Paul, means small. It means little. Maybe because Paul's first Gentile convert was Sergius Paulus. Could be. Or Saul was so humble. Paul recognized Bar-Jesus as satanic and denounced this with all of his being. Every ounce of everything in him. Paul fixed his gaze on him under the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is huge. Paul condemns him to be blind. Paul was very familiar with blindness, was he not? Did it not get his attention? Amen. Jesus got his attention through that blindness. Bar-Jesus was already in spiritual darkness. Now we find him in physical darkness. 
The lesson, he who lives in the power of darkness must be prepared to live in that darkness. Immediately the darkness defeated him and humbled him. That's why he was seeking someone to lead him along. We do not know if he was led to repentance or not. It doesn't say that in the scriptures either. It is said that seeing is believing. And this, this specific case, seeing not, the not seeing sorcerer led the stunned Sergius Paulus to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. His eyes were open to the gospel of truth. Paul had the sign gifts. Did you see that? Of an apostle. It's important. Only the apostles had those sign gifts. He had the sign given an apostle. It's important because this validated Paul's apostleship by God alone for his forgiveness. The sign gifts validated them because the written word had not been written yet. They did not have. Listen, there was no New Testament at this period of time. He couldn't preach from Romans for it had not been written yet. Think about that. The Gospel of John had not been written yet. Paul's authority comes from Jesus, period. That's where it comes from. And the power of the Spirit. Paul dominates the sorcerer by his message of the Gospel. This is the first example of Paul's witness beyond the Jewish context of the synagogue. Paul, not Barnabas, will be Luke's main character. Throughout Acts and from here, we will see how Paul, how the Holy Spirit affects Paul. Let's go over to verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga or Pamphylia. John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. John Mark leaves, listen, and deserts Paul and Barnabas. That's what he does. Somehow this missionary journey is not for John Mark. For some reason. Paul refuses later to take John Mark with them at a different time, which brings a problem between Paul and Barnabas. And they end up going separate ways. And we'll see later on as we go through the book of Acts. So Paul will go one way, Barnabas goes another. And John Mark makes good with Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. This is at the end of Paul's life. And, he, and Paul himself calls uh, John Mark to him in prison, in maritime prison in Rome. Are you grateful that God doesn't throw us overboard when we fail? Are you grateful for that? I think about it. Paul gives John Mark another opportunity. We serve a God of second chances. How many of you have ever had a second chance from God? Third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, all of it. Jump up and down, right? We've had, listen, God is full of grace. But he's also full of truth. And we've got to hear the truth as much as we hear the grace. We need to understand his truth. We need to walk in his truth. We need to live his truth. We need to love his truth. For he knows what's best for you and for me. He knows what's best. Paul gives John Mark another opportunity and we serve a God of second chance. Paul admits later that he had been wrong in what he did to John Mark. Look at verse 14. It says, They continued their journey from Perga and reached Antioch and Pisidia. 
On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue, and this was a customary thing for them to do, sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Because they knew they were from Jerusalem. Not very often that folks from Jerusalem would come to their place in their homeland to preach. And they have a word. They wanted to hear from the headquarters of Jerusalem. This message of Paul's is very similar to what Stephen shared. And I want you to think about Stephen as we read what Paul has said in Acts chapter 7. It's interesting. Then Paul stood up, because remember, where was Paul when Stephen was with the Sanhedrin? He was there. He was standing in the wings. Listen to what Stephen had to say. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors, exalted the people during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years He put up with them in the wilderness. Then after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave their land to them as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me who will carry out all my will. And from this man's descendants, according to the promise, God brought the Savior, Jesus, to Israel. Before he came to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Then as John was completing his life's work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but look, someone is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet." Brothers, sons of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. For the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers, since they did not recognize him, or the voices of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Listen, and, and, and though they found no grounds for the death penalty, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all that had been written about him. See that again? Remember Jesus at the beginning of the study of Acts and how he shared with his disciples. He opened their eyes and their ears and their hearts to the Old Testament prophets and stuff. Of the prophecies that came to fruition in Jesus' personal life, in their presence. And he wanted, Stephen did the same thing before the Sanhedrin. The Old Testament brings in the Christ who is the Savior of the world. And this is what's happening here. And they looked, and they took him down from the tree, and they put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, He says, you are my son. He's talking about the resurrection here. Today, I have become your father. 
Since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Verse 36, important verse. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. And everyone who believes, everyone who does what, church? Believes. In who? In him, Jesus, is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. He's justified. Why? Because he died externally on a cross and hung on a tree, shed his blood. He justified, listen, taking all of your sin on himself. He took it all. There's nothing that you have done in the past. There's nothing you could ever do today or tomorrow. Listen, that Jesus won't wash clean and hasn't washed clean already. And it's important for us to understand that. Sometimes we live in our past. We live in our sin. Give it to Jesus. Jesus already took it 2,000 years ago. And we've got to let him have it. We've got to let it go of ourselves. We've got to give it to Jesus. Everyone believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. The law of Moses could never save you. All it did was convict you to point you to Jesus, the one who could save you. That's what the law did. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. And Habakkuk 1.5 it says, Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Paul's explaining it to them, and he knows there's people that's not going to believe. Stephen explained it to them in love and, and humility and love. He wanted to see the Sanhedrin get it. He wanted to see the Pharisees get it. He said it gingerly and in love, and he shared the same message that Paul's sharing. He shared it to them in love with hopes that they would see the error of their thoughts and their ways, and that they would change. But they got madder and madder, and they end up killing him as well. I want you to underline in your Bible verse 36. I want you, I want to have closure this morning with this verse. This verse is a, it's a very important verse. It says in verse 36, For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers in decay. Listen to me. Verse 36 is the most beautiful of all epitaphs. Most beautiful of all epitaphs. This is one we all would do well to end up with at the end of our life. Why? Listen, because King David was a servant of the Lord and a man after God's own heart. The apple of God's eye. Remember? He was. God captures, listen, God captures the life of a servant in this verse. This is good for you and I to look at this pointedly this morning. And I want you to look at it very pointedly. Number one, fill it in. David was a servant of God. Are you a servant of God? Adrian, are you a servant of God? Are you? Marcia, are you a servant of God? Are we servants of God? All of us. Brother Bill Ward, where are you at? Are you a servant of God? Amen. 
Watch it, the pastor's calling us out. <laughs> That's all right. Are you a servant of God? It's important that we're a servant of God. David served who? He served his father. David served his brothers. King Saul, when he liked him. And seeing King Saul when he hated him. When King Saul hated David, he, David still served him. Could have killed him, but he didn't. Even when Saul was trying to kill him. He served his nation and served God all of his life. Can you say that you are a servant of God? The least of these. Now listen, David wasn't a perfect servant, was he? Was he? How wonderful is that for us? To understand that. Your pastor's not a perfect servant. Sometimes I just don't see it, and sometimes I just don't get it. Not that I don't want to intentionally. I want to be there for every single one of you, all the time, every time. And I try. That's why it's important to have a church. The body of Christ. We can cover all bases when we're together. Amen? That's so good. You know David's story. So my question for you is, did or do people see or remember you as climbing or trying to climb the ladder of life and success? Or do people see you as a servant? This is a vital question. Do you see the idea of being a servant as less than? Is your life about you? Is your life about your plans? Is your life about your successes? Me, myself, and I? Listen to Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28. He says, It must not be like this among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be what? Your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be what? Your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life what? A ransom for many. Jesus not, did not come to be served, but he came to serve. The servant of man, the servant of God. That was Jesus. That's, he's our example all day long. Jesus came as the servant of God and changed human history. That's why you put a date on your paper. He changed everything. Jesus was the hinge from the Old Testament covenant to the New Testament covenant. He is hinged. He's the doorway. He's the way, the truth, the life. You have to go through Jesus. Jesus changed one man, one God-man changed history for all time. Hmm. We are all servants, good or bad. Altered history itself. A servant is the most significant of all people. David was a servant of the living God. Paul was a servant of the living God. Barnabas was a servant of the living God. They were sold out. There was nothing that they did that they would sidestep what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. They served the living God. This is the message for me and you. We're servants of the living God. David fell asleep at the end of his servant life. David was a servant of God. Number two, David lived to serve God's purpose. David lived 
to serve God's purpose. We are born to serve the living God. That's our purpose. That's our mission. We serve King Jesus. We serve Him every day of our life. Every breath, every heartbeat, every thought, every intentional thought. Everything is about serving Jesus. And we should, we should that, that's our goal. That's what we're here for. That's why we exist. That's why God created us. We're here to make much of Jesus. We're here, listen, to decrease and to let him increase in our life. He is the creator. He gives us life. He gives us breath. He gives us function. He gives us abilities. Listen, Romans 1 talks about, listen, we are without excuse for even the, the, the earth, the trees, the plants, everything, the heavens declare his glory. We're here, listen, for his purpose, for his glory. He's the creator. God, Jehovah, Yahweh, he is with us. He's the great I am. We live for him. We're here for him. And we miss it. We get sidelined by the world, by the God of this world, the devil of this world. We get sidelined by him. And you don't need to be sidelined. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And the reason we get sidelined, because we're not with God every day in his word. We're not praying every day in his word. We're not seeking him out where he may be found, which is in church, which is in places. You want to experience God, you've got to go where God is. You can't go where God isn't. If God's not there, he's not there. You don't need to be there either. Unless God sends you to a place like that. If he sends you somewhere, then you have a clear, clear mission for him. That he has for you. It's important. We're born to serve the living God. And that's our purpose and our mission. Not just to get ahead in life. We're too busy trying to get ahead and make ends meet. When Jesus is the means that makes the ends meet. He'll give you everything you need. In fact, I know we went to that David Jeremiah thing. And I happened to wear it this morning. God is everything you need. Amen. Right there it is. He's everything you need. The scriptures teach us that. God is everything you need. He has everything that you can possibly imagine or think or need in your life. He can bring you out of wherever you're at. And he can bring you to the surface. And he can, listen, make your joy complete. That's what he came to do. He came to do that for us. It's easy to become an island protecting your shoreline. Think about that. How many of you become islands to protect your shoreline? My plans my dreams, my ways. Listen, you cannot ever be isolated and serve the living God. You cannot do it. You cannot isolate yourself and serve God. It's impossible. Because that's not God's character. That's not who he is. God sees us as his servants. Whether we serve or not, we are his servants. He created us for servitude. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. That's why you'll hear me say that over and over and over and over. God wants us to serve people. God wants to serve people through you. That's why we're here. God has gifted you with talents, grace, and his favor for service. God has gifted you for that. God will never ask you to do anything that he does not equip and prepare you to do. Rosalind, he will never ask you to do something he ain't prepared you to do. Listen, I came here and I did not feel prepared. I did not. But God sends me down here to Florida anyway. I knew it was the Holy Spirit moving me. 
And I still don't feel prepared most Sundays. But I'd come in here, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to do what thus saith the Lord, what Jesus says I want to do. That's my heart's desire. That's my life's mission. That's why I love reading about Paul and Barnabas. Man, they were sold out to Jesus. Are you sold out to Jesus? Do you know Him as your Savior? That's the first step. After you get saved, now you've got to humble yourself in His presence. Say, Lord, lead me and guide me into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you, with you, and upon you. And He does that. And we've got to let it go. We've got to let it go. It's like the song. Let it go. Right. So we must do that, right? So God wants to serve people through you. He has gifted you with talents, grace, and favor for service. God will never ask you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. My question is, if God asks you to do something, will you say no to God? Think about it. Is there anything that God would be required of you that you would say no to? Think about it. Or you say, Lord, you must be, you made a mistake. I can't do that. I can't do that. You don't know my circumstances, Jesus. You don't know how I feel. I'm sick and tired. Right? I'm sick and tired. Sick and tired. Yeah, we're sick. It shouldn't stop you from doing what God wants you to do. You should be crying to God, Lord, make me healthy so I get out there and proclaim your message and share Jesus with people I don't even know or my friends or my family. Or whomever. God will put us in circumstances to prepare us for great opportunity. Where we are needed most. But we have to be willing. We have to be willing. We've got to be submissive. We've got to be willing for God to use us. Are you willing? David served the purposes of God. Or his own. Which he did that. When we think about Bathsheba and some of them. We see that in history. When he served his own, listen, he was in grave trouble, right? And there were consequences that followed that, right? The death of a son. Number three, David served God in his own generation. And then he fell asleep or he died. You can't serve the past. Think about this. You can't serve the past because why? It's over. We cannot serve the past. It's over. We can only serve what? The present and the future. And my brother has this saying, and pray for him. He's been, he was sick this morning. He always says, he always said, as he said, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Amen? Amen? Isn't that good? That's so good. Thank you, brother, if you're watching. Love you, bro. I hope you feel better. That's so true. We must do something in the present. And when we do something in the present, we serve the generations in the future. This is why we did Thursday night. We're trying to help them to see there's love here. Jesus is here. True love. True love. So that when they come, we can demonstrate where that true love comes from. And we can share it with them and train them. People serve. Listen, the... People serve the evil segments of this generation in the world. That's the other way. Serving Satan rather than God's given design. The God of this world, the little G, 
He's in this world seeking whom he may devour. David served his own generation. In your family, circle of friends or works, etc., will there be a trail that leads people to you making much of Christ? Will there? I pray that there is. I pray that when you're dead and you leave this world, the thing they're going to talk about is Jesus in you. God will always be on the top as a servant, and you're on top with him. Always. Is your heart bent toward God? I pray that it is. Are you committed to the perfect will of God? I hope that you're bent that direction. What will your epitaph say when your last breath is gone? What will this pastor say at your funeral? It's sobering thought. Think about this. The gas in that hearse at the funeral home right now may be the very gas that takes you to the cemetery. Are you ready? What kind of an epitaph are you going to leave for your family, your friends, this church, that you were a lover of God? We are all, listen, I would do this with my students. We're all what? Our heart beats. I think my heart might beat that slow. I don't know. Sometimes. But we're on what? We're one heartbeat away from what? From eternity. Right? And when this heartbeat stops, what happens? <laughs> I know. We leave. Right? Are you ready? Are you ready? Every head bowed and everybody closed. Are you ready? If your heart was to stop right now, would you be ready? Would you be ready? Would you be ready? There's something if I can find it. With your head bowed, I want you to listen to this poem. I remember my grandfather read this poem. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash, but what matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and what's real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remember that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, 
Would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Isn't that true? Listen, Jesus did all the work to save all of us. He shed his blood. He's the one who went to the cross. He laid his life down. Nobody took his life. He voluntarily laid it down. His mission coming to earth was to lay down his life on a cross for you and for me. All you have to do is believe that he did that for you. So with every head by every eye closed, no one looking around, maybe you're sitting here this morning. Maybe you never trusted Jesus to save you from your sin. Now is the time. Just ask him to come into your heart and say, hey, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you shed your blood for me. I believe you took your sin, my sin. You took my sin on yourself. I trust you completely with my life from this moment forward. Lord, save me, clean me, wash me white as snow. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and to save me from me and my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again from the dead for me to give me life eternal. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he shed his blood for you. Believe that he rose from the dead. You believe that this morning, you're as saved as I am up here preaching. Trust him as your savior this morning. If you've never done that, just tell him a simple little prayer. I can't pray you into heaven. Only you can pray and talk to God like you talked with all your friends. Talk to him. He's listening. Jesus, come into my heart and save me this morning. I trust you alone. By my faith alone, the only thing I have is faith to believe that you are the Son of God. I trust you with all my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Christian, are you a servant this morning? Have you faltered in your servitude to the Lord? Then, man, get it right. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you all your sin and cleanse you from every bit of righteousness, unrighteousness in your life. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I come to you this morning. Ask you, God, to make me a better servant. Lord, you showed me what a servant looks like. Lord, I want to follow your example this morning. So, Lord, I give everything that I have to you. Use me for your glory, Jesus, that I would serve you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said what? Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We're dismissed this morning. Thank you. Thank you.